Hello and welcome to My Sister Wisdom, the Christian Lifestyle Podcast with your host, Shannon Vazalakis and her Sweet Seed Sisters. Gather with me every weekend as I have conversations with women from all walks of life from all over the world as we share our stories, our solutions, and the scripture of the week. This podcast is brought to you by Heavenly Elohim, hard work, and lots of free software programs. I am working diligently to expand the podcast to bring you the best possible quality audio and video available, and I could sure use your help. If you would like to donate, my host, redcircle.com, makes it easy to leave a donation of your choice. Please visit this podcast's official page by going to redcircle.com forward slash my dash sister dash wisdom and click sponsor this podcaster underneath the picture. I seriously love you and appreciate even the smallest token of your support. 25% of your donation will be given to the organization of the month. For February, we are giving to children with hair loss to help provide solutions and confidence to children who have lost their hair due to chemo, alopecia, or other unfortunate circumstances. You can also share this podcast with all your friends and family because I know you'll love it that much. Without further ado, let's get to the real star of the show, our sweet seed of the week. This episode reminds me of two scriptures. The first one, Psalm chapter 139, verse 14. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And also John chapter 15, verse 19. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Now, that's not to say that we should be excited if the world hates us or that even that the world will hate us, but to just know that if we feel like we don't fit in, it's because we have been chosen and we can either choose again to stand in the truth and walk the path of the truth or to try to conform to the world. But that choice that we make really does affect the rest of our lives. That's that's all there is to it. So let's get into this episode. I'm so excited to share this conversation with Barbara. It was absolutely life-changing for me, and maybe it will be for you as well. Hi, Barbara. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Shannon. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure talking with you. (laughs) Yes, definitely. I'm so excited to learn more about what it means to be an intuitive, ambitious alien. So I first want to know what inspired you and where you come from. So can you tell us your story? Tell us more about you. Yes, I'd love to. You know, when I was growing up, I always got told that I was too sensitive and that I needed to shield myself more that I shouldn't take everything to heart and that I really needed to develop a thicker skin. Mm. They also told me to not just get so worked up, but to let things go or to not take everything so personally. And in hearing these things, in hearing these words, I just create this story in myself that I'm not good enough the way I am and that there's something wrong with me. And For most of my life, I felt like I was different from other people. I had a hard time fitting in. Um, I I was bullied a lot. I was picked on. I was called names. And this just further, um, what's the right word? It further instilled upon me that, 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 that thought that I'm not good the way that I am. And 
there just came this time when I decided to suppress a really big part of myself, to suppress my sensitivity and to survive through my powers of reasoning because I wanted to prove to people that I am a normal person and that I could be just like everybody else because I hoped that by being like everybody else, I could get their approval and I could get their love. So I forced myself to be big and to and be strong and to show a brave face to the outside world and, and to just do what was expected of me. And that meant that I started creating these masks to wear. I had this mask for when I'm with my friends. I had masks for when I was with my family. I had a mask for when I was at work. And it became such that there just came this time that I, I didn't really know who I was anymore. And if we then fast forward to when I'm 32, I was working as a project manager on a very difficult project. And it was an important project for our company because one of our biggest clients had quit their services with us. So it was very important that we landed this client. Otherwise, half of the company would lose their job. So there was a lot of pressure on this project. And my boss was constantly throwing me under the bus. Everything that went wrong was always my fault, even though most of the time I couldn't do anything about it. And he also didn't give me any power of execution. So I wasn't able to change anything. I was just, I, I felt like I was stuck between a rock and a hard place. On the one mm -hmm. hand, I was responsible for my team and they came to me with their complaints and their concerns. And it was my job to handle them. But my boss didn't give me the executive power to actually help them to actually yeah. change something wow. so I could only tell him you know this is what the team is saying this is what we need and he was then supposed to be the person that arranged it and our client was one that thought it was a really cool game to see how many of your buttons he could push mm. before you just couldn't take it anymore so there was a lot of pressure from all these different sides and then all of a sudden after two months, I think, three months of this pressure, my boyfriend of seven years just ended our relationship okay. out of the blue, totally unexpected. And that combination, it just landed me in a burnout. Yeah. I just, I couldn't take it anymore. And I felt like I had failed. I had failed myself. I had failed my coworkers. I had failed my boss. And I was so incredibly disappointed with myself, so harsh to myself. And all of a sudden, I just had all these emotions that I just didn't know how to handle because I had suppressed that part of myself. I had suppressed the feeling side, the intuitive side, the empathic side. And I had just focused on being like everybody else. And all of a sudden, there was just this emotion overload that I just didn't know how to handle anymore. And... During that time, my boss told me, yeah, but you are an HSP and my wife is an HSP and you are exactly the same. And then he went on with the rest of his talk. And at first I thought he was calling me a name. <laughs> I thought, well, he, he must be disappointed in me. And, and I thought he was calling me a name to express yeah. his disappointment. And I didn't know what HSP was. Yeah. And if he had said highly sensitive, then at least those had been words that you could do something with that could trigger your imagination but hsp you know i thought i have no clue what you're calling me and it stuck with me so when i returned to my workplace i just felt like 
I need to find out what he called me, you know, if it's an insult or um, what it was that he was calling me. And then, you know, I discovered that HSP stands for highly sensitive person. And I thought, oh, okay. And then I started reading about highly sensitive people and what it means to be a highly sensitive person and how you can determine if you are one. And, you know, that opened up a whole new world for me. It felt like I was coming home to myself. Things wow. that I previously didn't understand about myself. I suddenly thought, oh, and hungry. I read everything I could find. Books from Elaine Aaron, the, the founder of the term that did a lot of research into high sensitivity and, and wrote a lot of books. And, you know, for the first time in my life, I realized I'm not weird. I'm not strange. And there's definitely nothing wrong with me. No. You know, I am different, mm. but different isn't bad or worse than somebody else. You know, it's just different. And with that just came this search into who am I? Who am I really? If I take off all these masks, if I peel off all these layers, who is then hiding below that? Wow. Who are you? And what do you like? I had conformed myself so much to other people being the person I thought they wanted me to be acting in a way they wanted me to act. Um, I also was like this kind of chameleon, you know, I, I completely took over uh, my boyfriend's identity, for instance. So I didn't Mm -hmm. really know what my hobbies were anymore. I didn't know what my type of music was because it was all his hobbies and his music. And because Mm -hmm. I am interested in so many things. I thought, well, let's give your music a try or let's give your hobby a try. And because he wasn't interested in mine, then eventually all that was left were his things. Mm -hmm. And we were together for seven years. So when it ended, I just, I didn't know who I was anymore. Yeah. And then, you know, this, this, this journey of self-discovery started and I not only found out that I'm a highly sensitive person, I also found out that within the high sensitivity community, I am an additional alien because I am also extroverted. You know, about 70% of all highly sensitive people is introverted and 30% is extroverted. So I discovered I am more extroverted than introverted, which is not that common. And then among the extroverted people, I'm also what they call a high sensation seeker. So that means that I need also thrill in my life and it Mm. needs to not be tame. And in my work that's translated to having multiple hats. I was both a project manager, but also a front-end developer. I could also program if needed. Um, I could do scrum work. So I could take on many different roles and many different hats. And that's also where I thrived, what I really loved. But our society, it keeps asking us, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. And I never was able to answer that question because... I had a hard time narrowing it down to one thing. And even when you start a business, they say you need one niche, one message, one target audience. And it had always been just a problem for me. And it wasn't until I discovered that I'm a multi-potentialite, which means that I am good in um, a lot of things, really a lot of things. I haven't tried anything that I didn't turn out to be good at. Wow, and, that's awesome. You know, I discovered that that is, in fact, my strength. It is yeah. my strength to be good at 
a lot of things, but I am not a specialist in any of them. Mm -hmm. Specialists are people who really love one thing and really want to go for that one thing and learn everything about that one thing and then just excel in that one thing. And if you're a specialist, you know, kudos to you. It's perfect if that is what you feel that suits you. Right. But I never felt that. And again, that made me feel weird or strange because other people just didn't seem to have that problem. And then you start to doubt yourself and it chips away at your self-confidence and the way you view yourself. So like most highly sensitive people who have not mastered their high sensitivity yet, I was afraid of showing my real self. I was afraid of what other people might say, what they might think, how they would judge me, um, that they would also find me weird. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a big contrast to how I now am because now I say, yes, I'm weird and I'm fucking loving it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Uh, But but by that time, I I was ashamed of admitting Mm -hmm. who I really was and uh, showing the world what I was capable of. And that was further reinforced because, you know, about 20% of the population is highly sensitive, but 80% is not. So that means four out of the five people that you meet, they are not like me. They don't think like me. They don't act like me. They don't have the same values or work ethic like me. And they don't understand you. That's Mm -hmm. one of our greatest gifts as highly sensitive people. We are able to put ourselves in other people's shoes. So we can imagine how it would be for them. But the four out of the five people that are not highly sensitive cannot do that. So they judge you. And they have comments about you and they have opinions about you that they often also voice in usually not a very nice way. And that further chips away at your self-confidence until you really believe that there's actually something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. Completely. That is such a powerful story that you've shared. Like, Thank thank you for sharing so much and so vulnerably and so honestly. Um, I, there are so many points that you made that I completely resonate with. And it's very interesting to me. And this is why I love doing this podcast is that, you know, you're in the Netherlands and I'm over here in the United States. And I thought this was a United States problem, but this is a worldwide thing. I'm guessing because we had almost the same mindset growing up of, oh, I, I'm weird. I like to do all sorts of different things. And I just didn't seem to fit in. And that completely chipped away at my self-esteem over the years until I just did conform to everyone else but my own self. And that's super dangerous, especially, you know, where you grow up. If you're not growing up in the right place, you can be conforming to something that's very self-destructive. And, you know, even if it is a healthy environment, you still might be ignoring some really key and true aspects of yourself that are going to be your strengths if you just acknowledge them. So I, I definitely think it's important to, to recognize that true statistic that 20% of people are highly sensitive people and about 80% are not. So that means most of the people we're around are not going to experience life the same way we do. I definitely would identify as a highly sensitive person and the multi-potentiality. I actually just had a conversation about that where I never could focus on just one thing. I was like, I want to do everything. I want to do all these different careers, all these big, like highly educated careers. I wanted to go into all of them. And I was just, I knew I, I knew I would do great if I did any of them, but 
I kept thinking I had to pick just one. And I think looking back, that totally delayed my progress because I thought I had to do just one thing. And instead of feeling comfortable exploring and doing all the things I like, I focused too much on what that one thing was and I couldn't find it. So then growing up, you know, I realized, oh, that's not, I don't have to focus on just one thing. I can do whatever I want. I just have to keep doing it. And that changed a lot of me for my self-esteem as well, being able to recognize that it is powerful to be able to do a lot of different things really well. And it is powerful to be empathic and to be sensitive to the, to be able to read the room. That's a huge strength. I know a lot of people that would maybe um, agree with me. It's like, if you can walk into a room and read it and respond to it and more or less, uh, change not change but uh, adjust yourself so that you know you can keep the peace that's a strength but there's times when we get so caught up in that that it becomes our identity and what you said about like conforming and taking on all of what your boyfriend's all of his hobbies all of his music tastes I have done that more than once and it wasn't until the last one that I realized like this is, I don't even as soon as we broke up I was like oh, I don't even like any of this stuff like, no, this is all not me. Like, what was I thinking? I just was wanting to like please him and he wasn't interested in what I was doing that much. So I was like, I just kind of shifted into a different person and a different personality, but that's not me. And that's probably why that relationship would never have worked because I wasn't showing up as myself. I wasn't showing up authentically. And I think that even translated into some of my businesses where I did it more based off of what I thought people wanted from me versus what I wanted to give the people. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is definitely um, a big pitfall that we need to watch out for. Yeah. Um, and I also had it with all my boyfriends until this last one. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a tricky situation to get in because you being people who like so much, like I definitely resonate with being able to like appreciate any, um, almost anything in this world or at least give it the benefit of the doubt or give it a chance I it's hard to to say no I don't like that especially when the other person does and you're like oh well I don't want to have nothing in common with you or I don't want to have less in common with you let me just try to like it or or like it and even if it's just a real superficial level of appreciation if it's still there it's so easy for us to just say okay well let me morph into that identity but it's it's interesting that it's spanned two countries because I thought it was you know the media and I thought it was just the society of America but to hear you coming from I don't know where exactly in the Netherlands but I know your life has been different than mine for sure and you know we've probably been exposed to some of the same things but it seems more like a uh, internal thing where we're having this self-dialogue and people are talking to us and because of their self-dialogue saying, oh, that's different. That's weird. That makes me uncomfortable because that's not like that. And I'm trying to be like that because everyone's trying to fit in. Everyone's yes. 80% of people aren't even really paying attention to the fact that they're, that they're uh, like experiencing other people's emotions. They're really just focusing on themselves. Cause I believe everyone experiences each other's emotions. It's just how much we're attuned to that. And I think highly sensitive people were much more naturally attuned to feeling other people's emotions and feeling ours on a much deeper level and much quicker. So to come into a place and to just want to show up authentically, but to feel like at any moment you're going to be threatened, 
and maybe even just trivially, but threatened nonetheless, it's scary. And when we're scared, we tend to shroud ourselves and cover ourselves and cover the parts of us that feel like they might be weaknesses because it's not the same. So it's interesting to see that dynamic. Yeah, definitely. No, it's, it's, it's really has to do with being a highly sensitive person. So it doesn't really matter in which country you were born or yeah. even under which circumstances. I've seen it. I, I run a virtual cafe for highly sensitive people all over the world. People from the United States, Canada, but also Australia, Africa, wow. uh, Vietnam and, and Europe. They all come together and we talk about these things. And what we've discovered is that even if you had a happy childhood, you're still experiencing this. If you had a bad childhood, you're yeah. still experiencing this. Mm -hmm. So it's it's purely something that has to do with being a highly sensitive person. And an interesting thing is that they have now also proven that our sensory antenna is just much more sensitive for a highly sensitive yeah. person. And they, they put a highly sensitive person and a non-highly sensitive person under an MRI scanner. And then while they were under, they showed them the exact same photos, the exact same videos, wow. uh, exposed them to the exact same sounds. And what they then saw was that the highly sensitive person has much more areas of their brain light up than the non-highly sensitive person. Wow. So that means that we literally, we hear more, we see more, we smell more, we taste more, and we feel more. Wow. But besides that, we also process on a much faster and a much deeper level. Mm -hmm. So there's both a lot more information coming in, but we also do a lot more with it. And right. for me, that also meant that I hate small talk. I hate talking about the weather. I hate talking about, uh, oh, did you see the election? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then just moving on, you know. I want to talk about deep stuff. I yeah. want to talk about meaningful things and i want to have just real talks real um uh, dialogues about right. things that truly really matter because that is what flows my juices that's what gets me excited yeah. it needs to be about something and most of us we also feel like we have this purpose here we need to make a difference we need to do something to put our mark on this work preferably in a positive way in helping some type of a positive change mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and you, you recognize yeah. that's so interesting um that it actually is in the brain because i didn't even think about that i honestly just thought it was how we choose to show up but that's it's so interesting to me to find out that they did an MRI study on that. Like, wow, that blew my mind. I, I think it's very interesting to note that like, maybe those people who aren't so sensitive, they are the ones that are constantly telling the sensitive people, you're just so, you're just too sensitive. You need to be stronger. You need to be more um, macho, whatever. And I've heard all of those things many times in my life. And especially um, when I was young and it, to me at the time, it was like, well, of course you're going to say that you're a man, like you're not as sensitive as me, but I'm not saying that men aren't sensitive or can't be HSPs, but this man in particular, you know, he was not. And to have that actually be a biological thing is so interesting or neurological thing is actually so healing to me because it helps me realize that they just didn't really know. And our society 
our world, we're not really teaching about this. We're not really teaching kids that this exists. So therefore, when they grow up to be parents, they're not teaching their kids and they're expecting that people are going to be the same level of sensitivity. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm thankful because it's obviously, you know, the change is happening and we're starting to realize that this does exist and this really is a thing and it is affecting our um, children's mental health and our mental health to ignore it and to not educate about it. So that's very interesting because I, mm -hmm. I even remember recently being told like, being super vulnerable and, and sharing something with a friend. And she was just like, so what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I'm just going to rest, you know, and take care of myself. And she's like, I think you just need to be stronger. I think you just need to be more macho. And I looked at her and I was like, oh my goodness. It sound like my father, which to my father, I give him credit because he's a very strong man and he made me into a strong woman. So I can't really say that that was that damaging, but to have another woman give that to me, I really was so shocked. I just, I just walked away and it was, it stuck with me and it made me think differently about that relationship. It made me think that she's not, she doesn't care about me. But if I had known what you just told me that by or neurologically, she doesn't understand because she doesn't feel it like I do. She's not processing this like I do. I probably would not have been so hurt by it, which can help, I think, uh, HSPs to to over oh, like we're over processing we can even over process our over processing and mm -hmm. say okay look like this person is obviously not an hsp they're never going to be able to feel things like i feel they're never going to be able to understand me even if i tell them they're just not capable of that so let me protect myself and not indulge in even trying to make that change in them because it's it's just a waste of our energy to wish that other people are going to be like us or to question why they're not like us or to think that there's something wrong with us and to be ashamed of that there's no reason we should be ashamed of being weird or being different and i love that i love that there's this movement of accepting weirdness and even like embracing it because when I was younger yeah I definitely was like I'm weird and as I got older I just was like I'm weird I don't care like I'm an introvert so I think that makes it easier because being an extrovert I can't imagine but being an introvert I can spend time by myself I can do anything by myself and I am chilling like I'm fine but you know of course every human needs social interaction but if you're an extrovert you definitely crave a lot more and you're you thrive more in that environment I'm opposite of that. So I don't really need that to thrive. In fact, it can be debilitating for me to be around too many people for, for too long, but extrovert, it's very opposite. So that's very interesting as well to just recognize that not all HSPs are going to be introverts, of course, and mm -hmm. not all HSPs are going to be um, multi-potentiality and they're not all going to have all these different things. We're all going to be different. It's that, that root of being highly sensitive and feeling things and thinking about things much deeper and much quicker, <laughs> definitely much quicker. Um, last thing I want to say real quick, and then I have a question is I, I remember in conversations I've had over all my life where someone would say something and it would strike me so fast. Like before I think even they realized what they said it would strike me seemingly all the way down to my core and it would just be instant and instantly I wanted to react or had to react, meaning cry or whatever, walk away emotionally because I was just like overwhelmed with how deep it hit me and how hard it was and how much like I was feeling from that. So I'm thinking now more that that makes sense. I really thought like, oh, you can just 
learn emotional intelligence and not react, not be so reactive. And there's probably things you can do to like help that, but to have that show up as an actual neurological thing that it is quicker. It's not just in my head. I mean, it is in my head, but it's not just something that I can tell myself, Oh, stop doing that. And it's gonna, it's gonna be better. It's, it's not, yeah, it's, it's much deeper and it's much more real and physical than that. So that's very interesting. So what, um, when you were starting to look into what HSPs were, what was the like main thing that just kind of the main light bulb of like, wow, I, I can make change. And um, what did you decide to do with that? Like other than just researching, how did you kind of help yourself in those moments? Well, it first started with healing parts of myself. You know, there was a time when I was young that my natural um, state is being happy and bubbly. Mm -hmm. uh, that's part of the extrovert thing, I think. But, you know, even as an extrovert, I can also spend time by myself. I really love being by myself in nature. Mm -hmm. It sometimes feels like you have one foot on the gas pedal and one foot on the brake. Mm -hmm. Sometimes things are too quiet and you need a bit more action. And then I need other people. And then mm -hmm. there are too much other people. And I need to put on the brakes and go yeah. back to being by myself so it's a constant battle between those two but I I remember that all of a sudden I could be very um, sad usually mm. um, and sometimes angry and then my mom would ask me why are you crying what happened did you fell uh, did you fell down or, or, or did you hurt yourself or did somebody call you a name or something and I didn't know I didn't know why I was crying, but I was crying my heart out mm -hmm. and I couldn't tell you why. And it wasn't until I discovered that I'm a highly sensitive person and learned that we are able to take over other people's emotions and energies as if they are our own, that suddenly that light bulb went up and thought, oh, oh, that is what happened. I couldn't tell you why I was so miserable or why I was crying so hard because it wasn't my pain. Mm -hmm. It wasn't yeah. my misery. I was just a conduit. I was just expressing it, but it wasn't mine. And then you cannot determine why you're crying. You just, you, you feel like crying, but you don't know why. And that's because I was channeling somebody else's grief or somebody else's hurt or somebody else's anger. So that was a very important realization that um, made a lot of things about myself that I didn't understand before so much clearer. Right. When I think about what they're going through, it helps me realize that they're all having thoughts and we're also going to be really sensitive to other people's emotions. That's very real. So thank you for sharing that. You know, and it, it works both ways. So it's, it's great to be around happy people yeah. because we also take over their happiness and it's really effect, um, um, affectious for us to take over their, their happiness and, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's one of the good things, but it also works, you know, with uh, memory creation, with smells and sounds. I don't know how that is for you, but I can hear music and that instantly takes me back to when I was 15 and I was in uh, a carnival and I was in, in one of those twirly things going round and round and round wow. and they were playing that song. And whenever I hear it, I'm, I'm instantly back there again. Or when I smell a certain smell, then that reminds me very strongly of uh, my grandmother who has passed away a long time ago or stuff like that. You know, we have this, this deep connections with 
so many things around us so much more than than the other 80 percent do yeah do you think that highly sensitive people experience the feeling of deja vu more often yes yeah okay i was just thinking because that makes that's what that makes me think of because deja vu I try to make the connection, like, is this just triggering a past memory that where it feels the same? And there will be times where I will be around somebody and I'll think, oh my gosh, that person reminds me of somebody. And yeah, it makes sense because if we are making those deep connections with smell, with anything that we see, with emotions even, um, we would experience flashbacks or, or, or a feeling of flashback, flashing back to something. That's very interesting. I think, you know, for people who are wondering if they are highly sensitive, this is, this is going to be a really good um, second half for them to listen to because I, I definitely want to know more about how to self-diagnose. My experience has been, I always knew, um, and it was just as simple as that. I didn't know there was a, such a thing called HSP, but I just always knew that I was way more sensitive than some of the people around me. So I want to talk more about that, but we're going to take a quick break. This segment of the podcast is called The Laugh Back. So for the listeners that are new, this is the segment where my guest and I, Barbara and I, will take a moment to step out of the seriousness of our conversation and just play a quick little game so we can get to know each other and so you can get to know us more personally. So for today's game, we're going to play a game of favorites. So this is real simple. It's not really a game. It's just more like a get to know each other. So we're each going to ask each other our favorite um, five things. So there's five things that we have and we'll take turns and we'll just talk about what our favorite is. And I have a very hard time picking favorites. So that's what makes this kind of funny because I'm going to have like 30 things go through my mind and we'll see which one becomes my favorite today because it probably changes every single day. (laughs) So I'll start and I'll ask you. So Barbara, what is your favorite dessert? Well, that is a very good question because I am not a dessert person. Oh. So I usually do not eat desserts. They are not really my thing, but I am very, very fond of chocolate. Okay. So I discovered these things. They call them lava cakes. They're little round, uh, like brownies. In the inside is like molten chocolate. And I don't eat them as a dessert. I just eat them whenever I'm in the mood for chocolate. (laughs) I love it. They are are amazing. They're so good. I love lava cakes. Those are amazing. I, that's so interesting. I am completely opposite and I'm getting better, but I used to be just probably addicted to sugar. I love sugar, love all desserts. I think currently my favorite. Hmm. I think my favorite is oh, I love macaron macarons. Yeah, macarons. I'm like, there's two macaroons and macarons. I think they're called macarons. The little sandwich cookies, the French sandwich cookies. Mm-hmm. I could eat. Oh my gosh, I could eat a dozen of those in a day. They're so good. I don't eat them often because I don't want to <laughs> hurt myself. But I really like sweet things. As a child, I even I I, I like chips and I like cheese and, and sausage and stuff. You know the yeah. the, the, the yeah. more hearty, more savory. And, yeah, but uh, cookies and cakes and stuff. Oh my goodness! Really not um, spend on me. <laughs> that was my thing. That was my thing. <laughs> Next one. What is your favorite drink? Ooh. Well, that depends. Is it an alcoholic drink or is it a non-alcoholic drink? Doesn't matter. 
Well, I'm a big fan of all kinds of herbal teas. That's what I love to drink during the day. And I, I have a whole selection of different ones for every mood and every um, situation. So that is something that I really love. But once in a while, I also really, especially when it's a hot summer day, I like to just chill and then have an apple cider. Oh, very interesting. It's so funny that you say you like apple cider when it's a hot summer day. That is the opposite of time. I like, oh, I like apple cider. I like hot apple cider. Like do not like apple juice or cold apple cider. It is the strangest thing. I have no idea why it just has this completely different taste to me. It has to be hot. Mm -hmm. but, you know, these their own. I don't know. I think um, I'm happy people like apple juice because they'll drink it. I don't have to. <laughs> An apple, hot cold apple cider. Yeah. I also really love herbal teas. I actually made one today. It was um, a blend of, that I have from home. So I kind of make my own and I have a bunch of boxes just like you. I love herbal tea. I think my favorite drink, I really like things with bubbles. And I didn't grow up on soda, but I grew up or I grew up more on like seltzer water or gas water. So I really like, I'm going to go with like ginger ale, but it doesn't have to have sugar in it. I've even had ginger ale where there was no sugar in it. And that's my favorite because I love ginger combined with bubbles. Mm, perfect. Awesome. <laughs> where is your favorite place in the world, even if you haven't been there yet? Um, from the places that I have been, my favorite place in the world is Italy, and more specifically uh, Sicily, the south of Italy. Mm -hmm. It's just where I feel at home, where I feel like I found my tribe of people, and uh, that's just, it's amazing. I love the sun, I love the food, I love the people, I love the nature. It's just, yeah, it has everything. I'm going to have to get to Sicily then for great things about it. I think my favorite, we'll go with, I'll go with the place I've been as well. I think my favorite place is, honestly, I think it's Jamaica. It's so beautiful. Like that is like, if I could pick what a place would look like, it would be Jamaica. And I just, I even, I went there with my father and I told him, I was like, I was like, dad, like I, I would be happy living in a little shack here. Like obviously like there's some big buildings there, but um, a lot of where we were around was very impoverished and they had like more, mostly just shacks uh, for houses, like just simple wooden things. And it's for me, I was like, I don't even care. Like that's so, it's so beautiful here. Like I would not spend any time at my home. I, you can get food everywhere. You can like, you can just be walking and there's food everywhere. You can, especially near the ocean and, and, um, there's goats that walk around there. I just absolutely love goats. I think they're so funny. And yes. so it was just, they're like squirrels there. So I just, that was another thing. And then of course the ocean, I am so drawn to the ocean and tropical weather. So mm -hmm. I'm going to have to go with, with Jamaica. That's probably also why I love Sicily so much, the, mm -hmm. the ocean part. And uh, I actually discovered that I want to have a house close to the ocean. Yeah, I definitely need to have a house. So energizing. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm right, where, right there with you. All right, next one. What is your favorite book? Ooh, that is always a difficult question because I'm an avid reader. So I read about a book a day. It's really... Uh, oh, wow. That is an avid reader. Oh, my goodness. Yes, I, I even... I, I used to read in my own language, which is Dutch, and I switched to English because I would read a book this big or you know, two, three centimeters in, in about three hours or something. So You're a fast I reader. 
Yes, wow. I'm a father also, so I decided I needed to switch. So I started reading in English uh, because then it would take me longer before I reached the end of the book. And but that's a mute point now because I'm now as fast when I read in English as when wow. I uh, am reading in Dutch. So I, I read a lot of books. Um, but my favorite author, when we talk about private books, would be Dean Koons or Koons. Maybe you pronounce it. Yeah, Koons. I've heard of him. Dean Koons. And I love his writing style. I, I've read all of his books and there are about 200. So oh my <laughs> there goodness. Are a lot. And I love all of them. Just He grabs your attention, really drags you in and then keeps you uh, riveted on the, on the edge of your seat, you know, because <laughs> you just have to know how it ends. So I, any writer who can do that to me is, is amazing. So that would be for, for fun reading. Um, but for um, business reading, yeah. I love all the books from Jen Cicero. So uh, I'm a bad and I'm a bad at making money. For instance, those were ones that were just chock full of humor and uh, yeah. a little wink at uh, the things that you are so serious about with yourself. You know, as a HSP, we raise the bar really high, especially for ourselves. So things are not quickly good or good enough. And mm -hmm. um, she just has this very humorous way of talking about these things and, and, and just making it a lot less heavy than it uh, usually is. So that's, those are amazing books. Good to know. I'm going to sit mention three for business. I think my favorite, and this is a little different because I'm a writer, but I love the word, the book bird by bird. And I think it's by Anne Lamont, something like that. Amazing book. If you're even considering writing or being a writer or are wanting to write anything it is necessary to read bird by bird it's so good it just makes you feel comfortable writing no matter where you're at and I've always been a writer but I just I felt like very blocked at the time when I started reading it and immediately I was like oh my gosh I can write anything like I don't even have to worry about this like she did such a great job in just making you feel comfortable writing and her writing is amazing as well her writing style is amazing um, um, personally, I've just started reading the Bible. So that's definitely one of my favorites because it's very interesting. Uh, but as far as like for fun, I love to read, uh, I love to read nonfiction. So not necessarily like self-development, but just like stories from people. So, um, the chicken soup for the soul series, I love mm. all of those books. I just love the emotions that they bring. So enlightening to just hear these women's stories. It's awesome. uh, last one. This one's a very simple one. The most basic question you think, I think you could ever ask someone, what is your favorite color? Definitely the easiest one of all of them yeah. because my favorite color is purple by far. Uh, I see yes. that in the, in the Barbara, it's purple. Yes, yes. I'm, and today I'm not wearing anything purple, but usually I, I always wear something purple. And my friends always joke, it's Barbara's birthday. Oh, you just get her something purple, you know, and then she's happy. <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is, as long as it's purple. But that's not true. You know, there are things that are ugly in purple yeah. because they're just ugly, period. Yeah. You, if, if things can be bought in multiple colors and purple is there, I buy it in purple. Yeah, I think that's that's so funny because there's like a bunch of memes out there about people and their favorite colors. And they always talk about people whose favorite color is purple and they just like show their whole house is purple. Everything in their house is purple. And it's just it's just good humor because I was that person like purple was my favorite color for it was blue and then it was purple 
for like a long time. And even lavender still is definitely high on my list. But I think my absolute favorite color is probably like salmon pink. I love it. Like a nice pastel salmon pink. Like um, actually, well, no, I don't have salmon. Oh yeah, I do. Like this color. It's on my phone. This color oh. is my favorite. I love that. I I would have a whole house in that, but I think it would look a little weird. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't take yeah, my house. <laughs> is um, natural elements a lot of wood mm. um, and then it has purple accents like my mm. my bar chairs are leather purple leather for instance but my couch is gray so yeah, yeah it, it oh, can't become too much if you do everything but nice yeah. accents here and there that's just uh, yeah, yeah definitely I can totally appreciate that well thank you so much for playing this little game with me it was so nice to get to know you and it's some of our favorites um, so for the second half of this podcast, I really want to dive more into the work that you do because we've talked a lot about um, an HSP. So an HSP you've mentioned to us is a highly sensitive person. And this is not just something that's made up in our minds. It's actually, I mean, it is in our brains, but it's neurological and it can be scientifically proven that this does exist. So it's very, I think, important for us to like recognize this, but not all of us have the ability to go to a doctor and get an MRI. So how do you um, advise us to self-diagnose to find out if we are highly sensitive people? Maybe we're questioning it. Maybe it's not been something we ever thought about. What are, you, what are your suggestions for that? Well, it can be very easy because I have a quiz on my website and free. So you just answer the questions and it will give you the results. Cool. <laughs> I love that. Awesome. That's super easy. So that's a great tool. If anyone wants to go check that out and find out if you're a highly sensitive person, I want to go do it just because I love quizzes. I mean, who doesn't, even if it comes out that I got the same answer, I already knew who doesn't love quizzes. Um, great. So we can definitely go do all that today. I'm going to do that myself. Um, next question, how can highly sensitive people be successful in today's age where 80% of people are not highly, highly sensitive? Well, that is a very, very good question. And I think the answer lies in um, accepting and embracing who you are. So stepping into your full authentic self instead of trying to please everybody else. So drop your masks and, and get really connected to yourself or your spiritual self. And then create this crystal clear vision of the life that you truly want to live. Mm-hmm. I love that. Definitely. Because a lot of us, you know, our highly sen our high sensitivity can, like we mentioned, you know, bring us into that place where we're just conforming. And I think for sure in today's age, it's so easy to conform because we have social media, we have television, we have all these different things for people telling us what to do and what to be and what's cool and what's in, and we can get caught up in that image. And I don't really think that that's necessarily healthy for us because we have to really remember that we are all all individuals and we do all have our own quirks and those quirks are what make us beautiful and those quirks are, can be what make us successful so what about for say someone who loves their job is super happy for the most part in their workplace and is a highly sensitive person and has someone around them in the workplace that they just can't seem to mesh with. And that person is just like, you're too sensitive. What, what are some tactics that people can either internally or verbally kind of bring to the table to help calm them or help them work through that? 
Yeah, this happens a lot. You know, it, it's called bullying at the workplace, yeah. um, where where, and and um, sometimes people do it on purpose. The bullying. Sometimes people just make remarks without actually realizing how that comes across or how that could hurt somebody else. So not everybody is doing it in, intentionally, but the result for the person receiving it is similar. And, and usually they feel bad, <laughs> just bad. And um, a way of coping with that is, you know, if um, I always draw, and I, I cannot draw now for you, but I always draw the, like these circles. And in the middle of these circles is a heart and mm. you are the heart. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you get like a bullseye, circles around it so that you can make a mental picture. And then you need to decide um, how far you're letting people enter your world. So around the heart, the first circle, nobody should ever pierce that first circle. Nobody wow. should ever have direct access to your heart you should be the only person that has direct access to your heart. The circle around that is reserved for people who have earned your trust, mm -hmm. who have earned the right to be close to you. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't have to include your parents if they haven't earned that right. Um, usually it's your children. Um, usually it's your partner, because I think you should be in a relationship with someone that has earned the right to be there. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, what's the point of your relationship? Right. So that then is the second circle. The circle around that is reserved for people that you call your friends. And highly sensitive people, we call people friends too quickly. Right. I used to, when I was younger, everybody that was nice to me was my friend. Yeah. And I do everything for my friends. There's not a mountain high enough, a river wide enough, you know, I would do anything for my friends. And I discovered that when I needed them, they were not home. Right. They were not there. And it wasn't a two-way street. Mm -hmm. So people who are not in a two-way street with me, I don't call them friends anymore. And I banish them to one of the outer rings of the right. circle. Uh, so uh, the second ring is reserved for people who are also there for you when you need them, when it's a two-way street and where you sort of keep it in balance. And I don't mean actually tallying it. You know, you don't have to keep score, but just with your intuition, mm -hmm. you know, when it's, when it's sort of equal, you know, when at least you can also count on the people that you are there for mm -hmm. in return. And those are the ones that you can let into the circle that is behind that. And then the circle behind that is for co-workers you like. And the circle behind that is for co-workers you don't like. And the circle behind that is for people that you meet, like the cash register, or the cashier at the cash register in the supermarket. Because if, let's say, that same cash, uh, cashier has a bad day and she is being uh, short or even just abusive or aggressive with you, we tend to let that go into our heart immediately. Yeah. We take that personally and we think, what did I do? Uh, how could I have avoided it? And, and it makes you feel bad. Mm -hmm. But a person like that should not have that much power over you. Mm -hmm. A person like that, you banish to one of the outer rings because if they are having a bad day, you should be able to distinguish, well, I'll probably never see you again. Maybe it's your time or the month, or maybe you're having re an argument with somebody else. I don't really care, but you know, I'm leaving it at your door. You're right. I'm not taking mm -hmm. it over. I'm not taking yeah. it in. 
it's your thing. So thank you and goodbye. Mm-hmm. And, and leave it at that. So you need to work with these circles and you need to actually and maybe even draw it out for yourself and, and put people in those circles and then realize that not everything that everybody says should have direct access to your heart, to right. yourself. And you need to work with layers in it. So determine, you know, if it's a coworker, okay, what is he actually saying? He's saying these things. Like um, maybe that he thinks I did a bad job. Right. Is there truth to what he says? Did I do a bad job? No, I didn't. I didn't even do extra work. You know, I fixed six things that I wasn't supposed to and did a heck of a job. Yeah. So do I then take note of what he is saying? Not really. You know, I leave it at his doorstep again because I did an excellent job. And depending on how much I like him, I will say something. So if it's someone I don't like and it's not true what he is saying, then I will think, well, you're entitled to your opinion. And I just turn and go. Mm-hmm. If it's someone I do like, then sometimes I say, what you just said came across like this, this, and this. Was that also your intention? Right. That's, yeah. And usually they say, oh, 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 no. Oh, sorry. I was thinking about some totally unrelated stuff and that emotion came through in what they said to you and they're like oh okay well it made me feel this this and this way oh oh yeah i'm sorry that was not my intention okay then i'm glad we had this talk yeah yeah and you can leave it so you know you need to start putting people in these circles and acting accordingly. So if they are people you don't find important, that you will not meet again, or that you just don't like, then, you know, who cares? Right, what yeah, that's think? so true. Or what they think. That is so, so true. That hits the nail right on the head because there are so many people in my life that I didn't like, but their opinions meant so much to me. And I'm looking back, like, that doesn't what? even make sense. I don't want to emulate them. So why do I care what they think about me? In fact, mm-hmm. them saying they don't like me should probably make me happier. Cause I'm like, well, you probably don't like me cause I'm not like you. So yeah. whatever, you know, go be you, I'll go be me. That definitely, that's, that's the kicker right there. And it's so interesting. I love the way that you describe that. No one should have direct access to your heart, but people like your children or your partner, or whoever you decide to be in that first circle, they can be close to your heart. And that really goes and shows like the reality that like no one can hurt you except for you. No one yes. can get pierced. No one can pierce your heart if you don't allow them to. And if you allow them to, of course they can, but you're allowing them to. And it seems kind of, I know that can seem interesting or off to some people where they're like, well, no, they said this and this and this and this about me and they meant it. Okay. Well, you can let that, you know, bother you and you can acknowledge that that's not something that you appreciate. But taking action beyond just feeling what they said is super important because we don't have to feel so deeply what all these people say. And if it is someone whose opinion we do respect, that is something that sometimes we might want to let it hit our heart because maybe they're telling us something that we really need to start paying attention to. And if we trust them, if we care about them, if we care how we're affecting them, that it's, it's almost necessary for us to actually do that inner work and actually mm-hmm. let it pierce our heart and let that heal and let that change. But yeah, if it's someone we don't even like, who cares? That's so true. 
you know, and it's, it's also never what people say that hurts you, but what it triggers within you that actually hurts you. And I always illustrate that with an example, like if I were to say to you, uh, Shannon, I hate this ridiculous red sweater that you're wearing with the white polka dots. You know, how could you wear something like that to an interview? You know, <laughs> it's just so totally not representable. How could anyone take you seriously when you look like a clown? You know, just how could you do something like that? Yeah. Would you feel offended? I would. I'd be like, especially if I chose to wear that shirt, I'd be like... I thought I looked good. Yeah. You're missing the point. You are not wearing that shirt. Yeah, no, that's true. That's very true. I'm not wearing that shirt. So no, I'm laughing with you. In reality, if I was wearing that shirt, of course I'd be offended, but I'm sitting here. I'm not, I'm not wearing that. So I'm just laughing with you. Cause like, I'm imagining that situation. I'm imagining what you're imagining. I'm not letting it trigger. Oh my gosh. What am I? I'm wearing this. Is this what she's talking about? This is red. Oh my goodness. You know, it's like, yeah, totally. I can see that. That's exactly what I mean. You know, it, it doesn't bother you and you can laugh about it mm. because it's not true. Yeah. You're not wearing that. And the moment it starts to hurt you is when you are actually wearing that and you have certain opinions or feelings about it. Yeah. So it's not what, what someone says because I'm saying the exact same thing. Yeah. So it's not what someone says, but it is if it touches on something within you. So if it comes close to something that we perceive as being true, mm. then we start paying attention. And if it done hits something like you have always felt insecure about your appearance, mm -hmm. and then I say something about the shirt like that, then that would hit home and it okay. would hurt you because it would trigger that insecurity or maybe even that feeling of not being good enough and that people will laugh at you. So, you know, it's not what people say, that actually hurts, but if and what it triggers within us. Wow. Yeah, that's so very true. Yeah, and it's not like we are triggering ourselves. It's not like we're the trigger. There's just certain emotional attachments that we have to our beliefs. And when those beliefs get challenged or reinforced, like if we believe we're not good enough, someone reinforces that that's the trigger we're allowing that to now come back up and it's something that we that hurt us in the past so it, of course it'll hurt us again or if it's something that we are emotionally attached to like if I was super in love with this sweater and I thought I just looked amazing and I get this comment and I'm like now I'm thinking oh I might lose I might not get the job because they think I'm a clown but I thought I looked good I thought it was fashionable you know like yeah for sure that's not what they're saying and it's not even how they're saying it of course how can make a difference if we're saying like I don't really like that shirt versus I do not like that shirt it comes across differently and yes. we can be more sensitive to the tone like I'm very sensitive to tone but it's also how we receive it so if we receive it and we take it as painful or take it as hurtful and then apply that to something where that now becomes true where okay it does trigger that's painful and I'm going to apply it to this belief, then it becomes this loop of, of self yeah. inner or inner dialogue of insecurity. Mm -hmm. When someone says something about your shirt, like I just did, and then it's not that they are reinforcing that you are not good enough. Yeah. They're only commenting on your shirt, mm -hmm. but in your head, you take it to mean that they are reinforcing that you're not good enough. 
Yep. So that's a, a, an important distinction to make that um, a lot of the hurt that we feel and the hurt that we uh, attribute to other people hurting us is actually us hurting ourselves. Mm. But we are not conscious often of that process, but it is what is happening. So we always have a choice to hear and, and, and listen to what they are saying and think, well, ah, okay. <laughs> That's amazing. It's so healing to just not care. And I think my younger self would not have been able to really like process that, but looking at, you know, what I've been through now, it's like, yeah, I've been, I've met so many people that I'm like, I do not like them or even, you know, people have said things to me and I did like them, but it just came across the wrong way to me. And I'm thinking, I'm like, wow, if I would have really stopped, thought about what they said, thought about them instead of immediately letting it hurt me, I probably would have allowed it to go through certain levels of those layers. Cause I'm picturing it like an onion, like yeah. the center is our heart and I, only an onion because it's so obviously like layered like that. So an onion in the center, there's that little root, that's our heart. And there's all these layers of different relationships that we have. And if we let the knife go through only a couple of those layers, well, you can just cut it off, use it for something else and grow back, you know, base more or less. But if we let it go all the way down to the root and cut us in half, then we feel broken. We feel like they broke us, but we're the ones that are able to prevent it from going deeper. We just have to really be mindful of that and, and have a good inner dialogue with ourselves and know that we might, okay, I have self-esteem issues. So if people comment on me and anything about me, I'm probably going to feel hurt if I don't protect myself. If I don't have that inner dialogue of, I don't want to hurt myself. I don't want to fall into this trap of low self-esteem. I want to just decide that that's not true. And even if it feels true, because that's kind of the tricky thing I'm thinking about my younger self and, and how now I just don't care. I think you get to a certain age where that happens, but for like the younger crowd, I think for myself, exactly like more so I really, really, really valued what people thought to the point where no matter what anyone said, if it came across negative, even in tone, even if it was a positive statement and just came across negative in tone, I would feel hurt to my core. And that's so self-destructive. It's such a self-sabotaging way to live. It really doesn't set you up to build your confidence. It just sets you up to think everyone's out to get you or everyone hates you or you're just not good enough. And it reinforces those self-limiting beliefs. And that's just not, that's not going to help us be successful. So finding ways to protect ourselves mentally by talking to ourselves, I think is really important. And I love that diagram because I can definitely picture that. And I definitely want to like, I've done it in my head, but I definitely want to see that on my own paper of like, all right, no one gets to pierce my heart unless I deem it necessary. Meaning unless I think I need to change. And those that I love and that love me and I've demonstrated that can be close to me. And who are those people? Because if it's not my father, if he makes me feel like, if my dad makes me feel like I am too sensitive, I'm not going to let his comment of me being too sensitive make me reinforce his negative belief on me, which is that I am too sensitive. If he can say you're too sensitive and I say, I'm just sensitive enough in my head or out loud, I'm not going to show him that I'm too sensitive. I'm going to be able to be stronger. It's kind of like a weird way of like, I get what they're trying to say. Like we should be stronger and not so emotional, but at the same time, like, I know that that's my strength, but if I can protect myself, then 
I don't yes. have to experience like the tribu the tribulations of that. And people can also move in the circles, you know, it could be that someone was in the circle that was allowed to be close to you. Mm -hmm. And then they did or said something or you break up your relationship and then they move out of that circle. And the same is with your parents. If they behave and they make you feel good, then they can move up and be closer to you. Yeah. And, and if they start to misbehave or say things that could potentially hurt them, you can push them out to the next circle. Mm -hmm. and keep them there until things settle down. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's very helpful. Thank you for sharing that. What is, we talked about, you know, one tip for um, people to to work with people and, and bullying more or less. Um, and that goes on a whole different, a whole big spectrum of light bullying and or covert bullying and just obviously bullying. Um, so what's one tip that you have for people who identify as an HSP to get through the crazy emotions and into a more or less consistent state or state of consistent ambition and action? Because I know for myself, regardless of what anyone said, there'd be times where I would have that grief, that sadness, or like that just overwhelming emotion. And I have no idea how to pinpoint it, but I want to be working and I just can't move past that. So what are some, uh, what is that one tip? You can just say one tip. What is one tip to kind of get through that and to be able to get back to our business? Well, most things are about surrender and acquiring inner peace. So what you could do is you already said emotions are energy emotions so emotions are meant to be felt usually we think oh now is not the right time and we try to push it away and then it keeps coming back and that's not working so a better option would be to actually take even five minutes to truly feel that emotion cry your eyes out for five minutes and then you can park it and let it go and move on and work towards having that inner peace in your mind again. Mm -hmm. So it's then surrendering to the emotion that demands your attention, go with it for one minute, two minutes, five minutes, or for as long as that you have the time to um, uh, look at it, to let it be there, and then just um, let it go. Whatever you need in order to clear that mental clutter and to get back to a form of inner peace again, because that will allow you to uh, continue with your day or whatever it is that you need to do. Mm -hmm, definitely. It is really that simple. There was this point in my life where I would delude myself into thinking that the motion is never going to go away. And so thoughts would, by me having that belief, thoughts that perpetuate the emotion would keep coming back and it would just never go away. And I'm more or less talking about anxiety here, not just sadness, but depression, anxiety kind of always were around, but anxiety was the one that just seemed to never be able to get out of my head, no matter what I did. And it would be this like state of tense fear that I'm going to mess up at any moment, at any moment, I'm going to do something. The whole world's going to crumble down. So for me, like it is really that simple. And for the most part, really, yeah, just allowing ourselves to feel that emotion. And I think, you know, for some, for some of us, we feel these emotions in public and we think, oh, this is not the right place. And so we like push it off, which isn't inherently bad. I mean, maybe we shouldn't be bawling in the middle of like supermarket, but we can, we never, we don't always remember that we still need to process that. And then it gets stored and we just go about our day and we forget about it. Definitely mm -hmm. taking some time to just get that emotion out first. I think that's super important. 
Mm. You say something that's very um, valuable because sometimes there isn't a place where you can do that. So what do you do when you have these emotions and, and it really is not possible to let it out at that moment? Because that, that does happen. What then is really important that when you push it away for that moment, because it really isn't possible to let it out, is that whenever you are alone, that could be a half an hour later, an hour later, maybe three hours later, but that you then take a moment to revisit that emotion and let it out then. So you always need to let out the emotion on the same day that it is happening as soon as it is possible to let it out. And if you have to make some time to go be alone, tell people, hey, I just need a moment alone really quick. You know, you, you don't have to feel like you're putting anyone out or you know, we don't have to give ourselves more emotions on top of the emotion we need to release. And I think that's super important. And I also want, you know, to encourage people if you are, if you tend to be forgetful, like if you're able to push emotions, suppress, suppress emotions and then go about your day and you are forgetful that you have to process this, to make a note somehow on your phone, I don't know, write it on your hands, whatever, just make a note so that you do remember to come back to it. Because just because you suppressed it and you don't feel it bubbling up right now doesn't mean that it's not going to compound in you. And next time you feel angry or sad or whatever, it's not going to be worse. So it is important to definitely, and I like how you said it in the same day, because if you sleep, it's going to get real suppressed. So definitely doing it the same day. That's really key. That's really key. Wow. Amazing. I think all of us sensitive people are so thankful for all your wisdom to be able to actually just live in this crazy, crazy world and to recognize, you know, especially people who are in America, well, all over the world, this affected all of us all over the world with the protests and and COVID this year, really, it was emotional for me. There was many times where I was just so heavy and it's hard. It can be hard to move through some of these big emotions that we felt in 2020. But, you know, if we just give ourselves the opportunity to accept that that is what happened and to accept that it doesn't have to hurt our hearts, we can keep our hearts whole and we can move through the emotions. We can do things to get them out. I think that's very key. So do you, do you work with people one-on-one -on -one or only in group settings? No, I work both one-on-one -on -one and in group settings with people. Awesome, yeah. awesome. So if anyone out there identifies as an HSP and just wants to know more about how they can work with themselves and maybe they're feeling very new, maybe they're feeling lost, maybe they just want someone to kind of be their buddy, how can they find you? Well, the best place to find me is my website, which is hspcoachbarbara.com and Barbara with an E, um, awesome. but you'll put it in the notes uh, below this video. Yeah. So that would be the best place because I have a lot of free stuff. I have the free quiz to determine if you are an HSP. I write a lot of blog articles. I have a lot of videos with tips uh, and a lot of information that will already really help you. Um, awesome. I'm also on most social medias under HSP Coach Barbara, so that would also be great. I have a YouTube channel with the same name that has a lot of my videos and a podcast called 100% Yourself with Barbara. So those would be really, really great stuff uh, to start with. Perfect. That's lots of awesome content, it sounds like. I love that you've got a podcast yourself, you've got YouTube, you've got all these socials and and the free quiz, which I'm about to go take pretty soon. And I highly recommend all the listeners do so as well. And the links, like Barbara said, will be in the summary below or to the side, whichever 
platform you're on. Um, And that's all for today. Thank you all so much for listening. And thank you so much, Barbara, for joining me today and sharing your wisdom and giving us more insight on what it means to be a highly sensitive person. Oh, you're so welcome, Shannon. I really enjoyed our talk. I think we uh, touched upon some really important issues. And that's why I love also sharing this knowledge and why I do share these personal things, because there are so many people out there that need to hear these things and that need to know that they are not alone, that they're not weird, that there's nothing wrong with them. And that, in fact, you can have a very good, beautiful, happy life, even if that seems impossible to you right now. Yes. Amen to that. Thank you so much, Barbara. Well, that's all for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of My Sister Wisdom. Again, I am your host, Shannon. Tune in every weekend as I meet with women from all over the world, from all walks of life, as we discuss our passions, our works, our faith, and how we have gotten through some of life's biggest challenges to where we are today. Get ready to laugh, cry, smile, and learn a whole lot. If you would like to send me any convictions, questions, suggestions, or smiles, please email me at mysiswisdom at gmail.com. Until next time, shine on, sweet seeds.